Good afternoon, and it's been a rough day for the Irish girls in the torrential weather in Perth, as they have been unfortunately seeing their World Cup dreams come to an end. It was a fantastic performance, probably one of the best 45 minutes at least in the opening half, but overall probably one of the best 90-minute performances we've seen from an Irish side uh, in recent years, in my memory at least. We might hear Aaron in a couple of moments, but uh, really impressed with the opening start. Katie McCabe with a goal, goal from direct from the corner in the opening minutes, and then a, a goal in injury time in the first half and early in the second half paid Ireland's hopes, but uh, Aaron Clark uh, from the stadium in Perth. Uh, first of all, welcome. Unfortunately, it's not in, in, in better conditions or better circumstances than we might have hoped for. No, disappointed. Um, probably the overall emotion is proud of the Irish team, proud of what they, you know, how far we've come. Like, I always still harp back to 2017 to what, what was changing in dressing in, t in airport toilets and track seats and stuff like that. They've been in a major tournament. Katie McCabe started giving us a, a dream start. What more could you ask for? Talked a little bit after the game. She did to the media about how they targeted the, the set plays. Like you could see the goalkeeper, she was too far off her line. And Katie seen that and a bit of wind and rain helped. And what, what a start. You go into that, you start to think, okay, lovely. Ireland are on top playing a little bit of a different way, a little bit more attacking, something we'd sort of spoke about that they needed to do. And, you know, everything everything was rosy. Probably, if you had to say anything, you're probably a little bit disappointed that Ireland weren't maybe 2-0 up before the Canadian goal. Kira Caruso had a, had a great chance. There's a couple of other good efforts that, you know, we didn't really get on, tar get on target. And when we had them under pressure, we just didn't capitalise that. But I agree with what you said, though. Probably one of the best 45 minutes in a long time. It's right up there with the French first 42 minutes against France but as as Tony Gustafsson the the manager the manager of Australia said in the open game in the press conference before the game Ireland are vulnerable just before the break and that was that's what it was it was a Nifahi got turned way too easy the cross come in and come off Megan Connolly's foot disappointed for Megan she couldn't really do anything to be honest with you and it was one of them that when it goes in you're sort of it's a hard, hand and heart moment and right on the stroke of half time I disagree with you a little bit in terms of the second half. I thought Ireland weren't great in the second half. I thought they, they lacked they lacked that little bit of composure. It was at times it was, it was nearly as if Katie McKay was trying to carry Ireland. It's they funny. Didn't have that. It's funny. I watched I watched the game with a few friends, and I have had the pleasure of of watching Katie in a similar circumstance uh, a long time ago. Uh, she played in the under-16 uh, FAI Cup final for St. Francis back in the day. Not a lot of people might know this, but they were beaten 2-0. I said they, we, I was the manager of the team, we were beaten 2-0 um, by Colga back in the day. 1-0 down after two or three minutes. And Katie essentially went on a an 80-85 minute effort to try and do exactly what we saw from her in stages today. And she ran through the team, just couldn't find the back of the net, probably had 20-odd chances and hitting from everywhere and despite what we tell her she was just she was single-mindedly going for goal i saw that coming out in her again today um and mind you if either one of those chances and you know the two i'm talking about in particular go in uh they're they've been written about in every single newspaper sports newspaper in the world tomorrow morning and uh, particularly the one where she ended up slaloming into the corner looked like she was going into a blind alley and just cuts back between the two it's around another two or three Canadian players and then an outstretched foot turns around the post. But um, what a talent. She was definitely, by far and away, the standout player on the field for both teams. Uh, 
for the 90 minutes, never mind uh, just the 45 in the first half. And I thought she was exceptional. I thought all the talk in the build-up about the likes of Jesse Fleming coming back. Um, I thought Katie Taylor was head and shoulders above everybody in the pitch. Not Katie Taylor, Katie McKay. <laughs> yeah, uh, you're not going to hear me disagree. Uh, fully deserved the player of the match as well. And she started to talk to us post-match about that, that effort. And she said she just didn't get enough whip on it. She was extremely emotional post-game, and I don't blame her. Courtney Brosnan was also extremely emotional speaking to her, and you could see how much it meant to her. And, and she started talking about how Ireland need to sort of kick on from it as well and stuff like that, which I fully agree. Like, the goal itself, like, it's, it's, it's a tough one to take. If it's a dry condition, does it happen? Maybe not. But as you mentioned at the start of the show, the, the wind and rain, it never stopped. It was even that bad that... At times we had to half close the laptops on the, in the press box because the the rain was sort of coming in, coming in. I just felt like I was really really happy that first half. I thought they were really really good. Second half, I just didn't think we came out at halftime. I, I thought the substitutes didn't really work for me. Um, too many times we just passed the ball, touched the throw-ins were, were just being given away. Sloppy little things and, and things like that where it was sort of. It was France-esque second half all over. It was a, nearly a carbon copy of the French game for me. And I hate to say it, but it looked as though in the second half, if, if any team were going to score, it was, it was going to be Canada. Yeah. And what had that inevitability about it. Talk to me a little bit. Maybe you talk about this, the halftime substitutions. I want to get to that. But before we do, let's go back a couple of days. I want to talk about strategy throughout the, the last few days. Obviously, Louise Queen came into the game with an injury. Um, it was kind of noticeable in places where she just wasn't quite 100%. Uh, she'll still give you a solid performance. Um, normally, in normal conditions, at 70 or 80% fit, but it's a World Cup game against the Olympic champions. You need to be 100% on your game. Uh, Heather Payne, injured in the build-up, a lot of talk, presumed fit to play, broke down in the warm-up. Those two players in particular, your thoughts on whether they should have kind of had a plan B coming into the game for either one of those or are you happy that both were in the plans in the build-up? It's, diff it's difficult because the header pain one, I'll start with header, the header one sort of didn't really come about until after the press conference when they went to training, the reports were like, oh, header's massively strapped up. There was no wind of this beforehand, so we didn't really have any understanding that header was carrying any sort of a knock. There was nothing said by Vera, nothing said by the FAI. The only one we sort of knew about was Louise. So when we see that and then she trains last night, sort of gingerly a little bit you were sort of a, a bit concerned and then when she's now to start you're thinking okay she must be okay but you could sort of see in the warm-up i don't think i don't think rte would have showed it where when it happened vera sort of running to tom elms running to jan van william back to tom elms then she eventually goes to anya gorman to give her the news and sort of you it, could did see show, it, it did show elements of that and it was very visible that uh, heather wasn't going to take take a part in and she wasn't that happy about it like she was visibly distressed on the sideline mm -hmm. Yeah, she was crying, and, uh, and it's, it's a massive opportunity for Heather. It's a massive, massive chance, and, you know, to, to miss a game like that, you'd be absolutely devastated, but the right call. The only the only question you'd ask is, should it potentially have been done pre-game that it wasn't, the decision was taken out of her hands if she wasn't fully fit? Likewise, you could see Louise was still was carrying was carrying a bit of a knock, and it's, di it's difficult because you, you have to have fully fit players going into these sort of games, and... It was a risk. Um, I don't think the Louise one backfired, but I do think it, it was definitely evident. And it's difficult because, you know, Ireland are out of World Cup. It's to say 
would if a Diane Caldwell or a Clara Reardon had played, would have would it have changed anything? I, w- I wouldn't be confident that it would have changed anything. Do you think that potentially with the injury just affected her slightly? And, and only slightly, I think in terms of her personal performance, I don't think we could fault her for the 90 minutes. Uh, but in terms of, well, until she went up front, and then that's a whole different discussion we'll have in a few moments. But in terms of her, her role, her standard role at centre-back, um, we were looked a bit disjointed, particularly in that stage where we conceded each of the goals. The first 20 minutes of the second half and the last maybe 10-plus injury time of the, of the first half, we just didn't look organised at the back. It just seemed... To, be not quite on point as we always are. Could look the injury have been a factor now? Look at the second goal in particular. She got between Campbell, I think it was Connolly and Fahey too easily. And despite the Cairns' best efforts, she just couldn't get a get a foot to win. Like it was a it was a lovely ball it was a lovely ball play, but I do get where you're coming from, especially if you look at the first goal in particular, it was preventable. And I think that's the biggest the problem with Ireland. Would a fully fit Louise Quinn have, have, have changed? And I don't think so. I just think there were it was a, it was a lapse in concentration that sort of allowed the opportunity, and we got punished for not being one hundred percent switched on. Yeah, and in terms of the other selection, then obviously Heather Payne withdrawn very very late on in the warm up. Um, there's no real discussion here. Any team that, that brings on your Gorman into it is going to be stronger or as strong as what came out of it. She's been an institution at, in the Irish team, arguably at right back, which I would argue is in her best position, but um, she has been solid whenever she's been called upon to play in that. Um, didn't really affect the game that much, I would imagine. No, and she, she almost she almost gifted Canada a massive chance early on when she slipped as well. Interesting enough for you, I don't know, you probably are aware of this, first League of Ireland player at the start of the World Cup, to start at a World Cup game for Ireland as well. Um, massive achievement, especially considering she retired and then, and then come back in 2020. Massive servant for Ireland. Um, she's over here, our, our son's birthday was the other day, she missed her, her son's first birthday being at the World Cup and she talked about, when I spoke to her the other day, she talked a little bit about that and they could see the pride and how much it means for her to represent Ireland, especially considering she's been through a lot of the dark days where things weren't going well and things were things were poor. So for for Anya, it was great to see. I was delighted for her, delighted for her as much as it was good for Heather. But like it was always going to be difficult to ask for Anya to come into this sort of game and really have a, a massive, massive impact. I think she played one great ball to, to Lucy Quinn in the first half where Ireland had a, Ireland had a great chance, but it just it just didn't it just didn't work when when the delivery came from Quinn into the keeper sort of got it. It's actually in the build up to the, to the goal as well when when Louise Quinn, uh, Lucy Quinn played the low ball across and the keeper just got there ahead of Kerry Caruso. No, Caruso got a touch on that. You might not have seen him. Caruso got a touch into the keeper, and then kicked it back off the keeper out for the corner. Like I didn't I didn't see the replay I didn't see the replay but like that you know that's the ball she played and it was it was quick engineer quick quick play and. Like she done okay, Anya did. Um, it's always going to be difficult for Anya to come into this game having not played, having not played, not played in the other games, and coming in last minute where she's not training to be to be a starter. So, like you can you can only say she she gave it her best shot. That's that's probably the best way to describe it. Yeah, no, I'd have to agree with you. I thought, I thought she was excellent. Um, but like I was saying, I didn't think she had a bad game at all by, by any stretch. In no. terms of uh, the other changes then, as we as we talked through, of course, um, Sinead Farrelly kept her place in the side. I thought she was brilliant. I thought she was excellent. First half. She faded in the second half, but the first 60 minutes she was excellent. Um, but then fitness has always been a bit of a question mark because she's only really back in the game the last three months. Um, 
the story that she has just coming into this World Cup is phenomenal. We haven't really touched on it in any great depth on the on the show, but um, there is a podcast out there that's worth checking out. Um, Counter-attack by Brianna Scurry. Yeah. Uh, repeat that there because I spoke over you. Counter-attack by Bri- Brianna Scurry. Yeah, absolutely phenomenal story. Um, of of uh, Which does, at the end of it, bring the whole Vera Pau thing into into discussion as well. But we'll talk about that at some other point. You're at the World Cup. You need accreditation for the games. So we're not going to step on any eggshells out there at the moment but in terms of um Farrelly I thought she was excellent on the ball I thought she just really got involved um we did see the changes from Canada at halftime and really that just looked to lift it up a gear and you look at the quality of these players they're bringing in like these girls are established internationals 10 plus years experience the likes of Christine um Sinclair coming in and with 190 international goals in over 300 appearances and that's the substitute you're calling on to come in and try and rescue a game to the olympic champions like we would could only dream to have a player with that experience and that quality to go to a side yeah i think i think someone said the amount of caps that they'd actually brought on like was, was staggering and well sophie you know, schmidt played against ireland in 2013 or 2014 when we played them the last time march yeah, 2014. 2014. yeah yeah, so, like it's, it's it's staggering when the amount of players, the players, the type of players they can bring off the bench and really affect the game. Like you look at it, like Bev Bev Priestman was made, was, she was taken no prisoners at halftime, triple sub. Like that showed that she was she was annoyed, she was frustrated with the first half performance, and like she really wanted to go out of Ireland. She she thought they did a bit of a, a bit of an emphasis, and like that's that's the sign of a, of a coach who wants to go and win when they go and make them sort of changes like for me what's frustrating from an Ireland viewpoint is is that there's the fact that by the 65th minute we had made all five changes but we're still playing five at the back it's the last five minutes that we're making we're making a swap what's the point of bringing Izzy Atkinson on a, a left a left wing back if you're not going to swap to a four or to, le- or to left foot there's absolutely zero point if you're not going to swap to a four because you've just got Horan Katie sort of mixing image and that was probably the most frustrating thing and I can another thing that annoyed me was was the fact the amount how many throw-ins did Ireland give away where we we literally threw the ball to them or, or things like that and sloppy it's playing the ball it. sloppy it's playing the ball out, out, of, out of play for, when no one near you like, it was things like that that were, were frustrating were annoying and it's the basics at times that do let Ireland, that do let Ireland down yes the conditions were great but you should, should be doing the basics talk to me about the uh I suppose the the way we finished up and, and the personnel changes. You mentioned all five subs happened uh, well well before the end of the game, sixty five minutes in, uh, and they were fairly like for like for the most part. Like we're bringing on players uh, up front. Um, I can't remember who replaced Amber Barrett. Uh, Amber Barrett came on for Caruso. Barrett didn't really get into the game. There wasn't really much opportunity for her to really show what she's. There was one of. time where Marissa Shiva played an absolute peach of a pass to her, and she it just went through the side of her body, and we were sort of like, oh, no, that's the chance." And yeah, it was one that you were sort of like, "She had to, she had to control that." But you're right; she didn't get into the game. You could see how frustrated she was. She sort of was even post game when the game ended. The Ireland team were going into the huddle, just standing a couple of yards off, it, sort of annoyed, frustrated with, with things. And this you level, you can't afford it. Your thoughts on Caruso? She impressed me throughout the entire 65 minutes she was on the pitch. Had a chance as well, but it was just a little bit too high for her. I was critical of her the other day. I was extremely critical of her the other day. I thought she was she was piss poor against Australia for me. 
I thought, um, but I thought she was very good today. She was effective. She was a lot more further forward. She was, she was pressing and trying to cause mistakes from the goalkeeper and stuff like that as well. And for me, it was a good, good, solid display for from her. I think I didn't think Denise Sullivan was great for for Ireland. If I'm being if I'm being honest, and there was a couple of players for Ireland who sort of you would have liked to see complement and add a little bit more of a blend to her and sort of you know give give the emphasis give more of an attack and threat when when, when it was possible um i think cruz had just probably ran out of legs at the end how much of and you're correct in, in your assessment I, I believe that sullivan wasn't really in the game but how much of that is down to the the position she's asked to play and the style of football we're asked to employ um i don't necessarily feel it's her fault if the ball's going over her head like a tennis match and uh, there's very little impact Nisa sullivan's going to have from the sixth position um, a lot of it probably. It's probably fair to say quite a lot of it is it's down to it's down to position. But it's the same thing that I said to you during day, Bradley, is that we've got some quality quality players. We don't utilize utilize them properly. And if you're not going to utilize them properly, how do you expect them to be all to be in the game? To be in the game and sort of contributing to the way they're capable of contributing and things like that. And I didn't think you're probably right in saying that 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 the way it was played sort of didn't suit Denise Sullivan. Um, you could see she, she tried to get into it a little bit, but she just couldn't. She just couldn't get into it, and probably no fault of her own. Yeah, I, I, I think that's the case. I think it's the the role she's assigned isn't suitable for a player of her talent. You have to remember she is one of the key players for the top side in the NWSL, and like we're not utilising them at all. And I was I was writing a bit this morning just for an article I'm putting together on, on the World Cup campaign as a whole. And I look at the players, we're not dealing with like for like here. We're so used to analysing Irish teams and we insert all the men's players into the scenario, back to Trapattoni's era, to O'Neill's era, even to a certain extent now in the in the later part of the Stephen Kenny era, era where it's not great football to watch because we believe we don't have the players we're ranked 53rd in the world in the men's game. We're 22nd in the women's game. You look through our squad, every single player in that squad is competing either at the top end of the American League with three American-based players, all in the top, I think, three teams based on the league position at the moment. It's definitely top four. We have players at Arsenal, Katie McCabe, uh, minutes shy of a Champions League final spot last year. Very unlucky not to make it. Um, players with nearly every other Premiership, Premier, I say Premiership. That's me on the men's side of things. WSL clubs. I think nearly every club has Irish representation, right the way down the division. Apart from maybe the Man Cities and the and the Chelsea's. But when you go to the fourth, fifth, and sixth, the whole way down the league, we have Irish players. The top three teams in the next year down. Um, Chloe Mustaki is at Bristol. They won the championship this year. There's a big glut of them at Birmingham. Jamie Finn, Louise Quinn, um, Harriet Scott and Lucy Quinn are all in that squad. And then even at London City Lionesses, we've got Kira Crusoe and, and Lily Ag. In but Scotland, we've teams at the, we've, with players at the top end in Scotland, with players with Shamrock Rovers challenging for a title here in Ireland as well. And even the players who didn't make the cut, the likes of, I know we talked about her um, as she was a pundit on Australian TV the other evening for the game, Deborah Ann De La Hart played in the friendly against China earlier in the year. Um, she won the league in Australia with Sydney, a key player. She's moved to Denmark in the last month. Like, we have a pool of players. And, and that's before I even include those that are out of favour, the Leanne Kiernans of this world, uh, the Tyler Toland, who's qualified for the Champions League in Spain with Levante. We have a 
probably 25, 30, 40 players who are playing at a decent level. Uh, Neil Farrelly's in Italy as well. Like, there's, there's plenty of names who didn't make the flight or weren't even in the discussion for the flight. We have quality players. Why are we playing crap football? Yeah. So, a couple of things I'm going to pick right, up on rant first. Over. Rant over. All right. I agree with you. The style of shite. I, I don't language, please. Like, sorry, apologies. And you know, you, I don't, I don't normally say things like that in terms of the, in the way like that. But I, the, the style is poor. It's, it's extremely poor. There's a couple of things here off the back of this World Cup. A, it's time for the FAI to get their their ducks in order in terms of the development of football, the structures going up from under 17s, under 19s, and senior. We need to start qualifying regularly for major tournaments in underage football. We need to be competing with the Englands. We need to be competing with these sort of sides in order for us to make it sustainable to be qualifying for senior tournaments constantly the only way that we have a massive growth in irish football is if we're constantly qualifying for senior tournaments yes the problem the the problem is is at the minute that may mean the gap between the national league and the the senior team gets even bigger but that's where it's really important that the fai don't allow that because women's football is completely different to the men's and i think there's a massive opportunity for them off the back of this to sort of close that gap a little bit more i think the most important thing is that is there's a legacy off this World Cup. That there's a legacy in terms of what happens next. We can't just say, "Oh, give the players a pat on the back, well done, you done great in Australia, you represented the country." No, we need to see sustainability off the back of this. We need to see growth off the back of it. We need to see. We're not going to see of the level of the likes of what England had a couple of years ago, but we need to see some sort of growth. We need to see some sort of movement and some sort of push on, because the problem is, is or if we don't. There's a potential that this get that the football in Ireland gets left behind. It's left behind in Europe. Gets left behind with other sports as well in Ireland. I think the reality also is is this squad is not the future of Irish football. And I say that with the height of respect. I know a lot of these girls personally. I have a lot of time. I have. They're probably among the people I respect on the planet most. Some of these players, the work they've put in for little to no reward financially or credit wise. It's great to see the likes of Onya Gorman getting in on a World Cup final because she has soldiered for two decades. And um, I had a, a very small crossing with her for a couple of seasons in her college days. She was always the first to train and she was always the last to leave. She was always the one to bring to pick up and bring the, the bibs, balls and cones out to train on her back into the, the dressing room. She was the absolute professional Herself, Stephanie Roach, a couple of others that came through those squads that I had back in the, the mid-noughties. Katie Taylor was one of that team as well. And the attitude they applied themselves to is is the reason why they are where they are now in the game. And I think they deserve... Uh, Onya absolutely deserve to play uh, from a from a, a credit-worked-up basis, basis alone, never mind the talent that she obviously has. Wow, I'm, I'm going to stop you there. I'm going to stop you there. I'm going to call bullshit. This credit built up doesn't wash with me. She played because she deserved to play. Oh, 100%. Like, 100%. 100%. For me, the thing is, this credit built up with Ireland has to stop. You're either, you're either there because you're good enough. Yeah. That's it. You're there because you're good enough. You're not there because you, because you were there years ago. And I think yeah, that's yeah. a problem with Ireland, with Ireland football, that we've too much of that. We've had too much of that for many years. We need to now have it that you're on form at your club. You're playing well. You deserve to be there. My actual, the actual point I was trying to get to, and I completely agree with you, you're absolutely right, and Onya Gorman is there on merit. I'd have had her in the attacking element of the squad, but that's a different story. Who is the youngest Irish player that started the game tonight? Ooh, that's a good question. It's going to take me a second. 
And I, I know because I checked. It's probably Katie. It's probably Katie. Nope, not Katie McCabe. The only other one I could think of potentially is... She's Katie. too younger than Katie McCabe. And when I say younger... Oh, actually, apologies. It is Katie McCabe. Katie McCabe is the youngest. The order is yeah, the wrong. Katie's what, 20, 26, 20, 27? She's 27. She's 27. Um, she is two months younger than Courtney Brosnan and Kira Cruz, who are within days of each other in, in November yeah. 95. And, and the reality is, is these players are not uh, the future for Ireland, as I said. The next World Cup, the youngest player who took the field today will be 31 years of age. Um, so if we are to qualify for a next World Cup, we don't have that experience coming behind who've now had the opportunity to go to a World Cup, and that's a problem for me. We look at the players, the players in the squad who are younger than Katie McCabe. Amber Barrett came on, fair enough. Apologies, Megan Connolly is younger. She's a, she's not. She's not much. She's Connolly's 26. not much younger. Yeah, she's 26. She's only a, a bit younger. Um, Marissa Shiva, Heather Payne, Izzy Atkinson, and Abby Larkin. There's only three players in the entire squad under 23. So if this squad would carry forward for four years, there'd only be three of them under 30. I'm going to ask you a question now, and I'm going to sound controversial here. Have we missed a generation of underage players? Because if you look at the recent number of years, how many of the underage players from the 19s are in the senior squad? There's a lot of them who have sort of gone off different pathways. The likes of the Chloe Singleton generation. We've missed that nearly entire generation. There's no player from that sort of pathway window in the squad from that sort of last couple of years. Like you look at Abby, Abby is still under Abby was still under 17s last year. There's been a there's been a, a, a massive generation where the last couple of years we haven't had the underage players started. What do you put that down to? Is that a reluctance of uh, of the management to to give them the opportunity? Potentially, potentially um, doesn't 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 rate doesn't like like for me it, it's a, it's a difficult it's a difficult one because how do you, what do you put it actually down? To? Is, is it is a tough one? Is it is it not good enough? Because we we've seen some players who. Have definitely been good enough. We've seen players who've represented us at underage who have definitely been definitely been good enough. And like, it's it's something that maybe we need that under 23s team. We need that opportunity to have the players to have the next step on to actually be able to go somewhere after under teams, not go and play Gaelic football, not go and drop out of soccer because they feel there's no future for future for at an international level. And I think that's that's important as well too, is that we we have a further pathway. Because I think the step from 19 to senior, we're losing too many players at, at Ireland, and we can't afford to be doing that. Especially as you say, the next generation, like the next generation now, you're looking at the likes of your Jesse Stapletons, who who are just about finished under 19, who's, who's finished under 19s now. Like that sort of player is is crying out for an under 23s until the likes of Avira says, "Okay, I'm I'm ready, you're ready." Although some might say she should be in the squad now. But like, I just think there's a lot that needs to be done, and that's why I think the legacy from the World Cup is even more important, that we have a the lot world, more in place. The World University Games platform is the perfect opportunity for that. Guaranteed a major finals every two years. It's not, it's not. I think it's no longer the World University Games, it's the World University Championships, or World Cup at university level. I'm but gonna burst a bubble. I'm gonna burst a bubble here. I disagree with you. And I'll tell you why. Because the amount of players that are not going to university now after finishing, is in, of, of the top level players is actually increasing especially for players who are maybe looking to go abroad go to scotland go somewhere go to england they're not going to college so they wouldn't be eligible for that so then you're looking at 
only a select number would be. I, I agree. There, to, but the ones to, you're talking about are in a professional environment. They're going to develop in that professional game. So but the they, still need, they still need an under. They still need an international pathway as well for me. Well, I, I, I disagree to a certain extent because if you look at the the players that you're talking about that left Ireland pre-graduation effectively straight from school you're looking at izzy atkinson you're looking at abby larkin potentially could make that step in the next little while just emily whelan well actually i hadn't thought of emily to be fair but these players make go into a professional environment i'm talking about the next crop beneath them you've got a bunch of maybe 25 players coming through um the, the requirements academically are not huge like you could register for um you just have to be in education so you could in theory be doing a full-time uh, night course in education while you're playing football and um, if you wanted to be involved in that it wouldn't be the most difficult thing in the world you'd have to obviously go to college but um you can work the re requirements for that and um, certain players who would have been in plc courses and the, and the like would have been eligible in the past so billy, depending billy on what course you're like, billy cleary won't like me saying this the college system in ireland does nothing for the for the women's game at the minute and it's not that it's not fully down to colleges there is so much potential for the college league to be brilliant and be great again yeah but back i was involved in the colleges world 10 15 years ago and we had a an interprovincial competition which has been done away with now because the national league won't release players uh, but essentially it was one weekend with the best players and half of these girls played in it uh, you look at a certain age profile um i think five of those girls played for for me with leinster in, in that competition uh, i know denise o'sullivan played with munster and, and plenty more played in that competition as they came through college and um, would have been involved as well when she was at galway uh, during her time there so uh, it was a really good pre-national league opportunity to see these players up against quality opposition we see it week in week out in the national league now but I think there's an opportunity there for um, a, a combined effort between the, the powers that be. So you're talking about the FAI, the IFA, of course, have to be involved as well because it's an all-Ireland uh, team. And what's now Student Sport Ireland, um, they need to sit down and really push this forward. But it needs to be funded. And unfortunately, um, there's no funding in the university sector for this. But there is funding. And there needs to be made funding both sides of the border and really buy in. We saw what they can do when they get together for the Avenir Cup. I think that's a huge first step towards both working together in a women's football world that we haven't seen previously but there needs to be a program put in place for both organizations north and south 100 percent and but the, the problem is, is is that's where the legacy of, of the, the likes of this world cup has that opportunity it's if the right people want to get in involved and actually go and say yes let's go and do something let's go and change football where do you where do you go for from here if you were in charge of the fai and you had the decision making power to to move the dial and and change how we're operating what what are the first maybe three things you would do over the next 12 months to put us in the right direction in your opinion i'd be make first first and foremost i'd be making sure the women's national league is sustainable if you want a professional league we need to go and make sure it's sustainable are we running clubs right how are we running things what what sort of off the field on the field how are we maximizing the clubs secondly i would be going and getting the structure with the colleges because I think the college's scholarships are the way forward. If it's a link, if, it, if it's something similar to the underage structure where, where we've seen the likes of Kevin's and stuff like that, having to have links with the likes of Bowles, uh, the clubs like that, maybe that's the way to go. Uh, because I think we need to have a strong foundation 
everybody talks about the National League having a second and third division. We're not ready for it. We're not ready for it because of the, the player pool and things like that. We need to go in the next couple of years and make sure we keep our best players here. We don't just lose our best players every season to go to England, go somewhere else. A lot of them are going for peanuts as well. That's the worst thing. But, but I was going to say that it, it money talks, but there's yeah. not a whole pile of money in the grand scheme of things. No. When you look at a top line figure now, I realize I'm, I'm being very, very crude here, uh, but a top line figure in the 50 million range for the FAI turnover for a year. And we're talking about girls going to England in some cases for probably less than they'd get on social welfare in this country. And that's before they pay their expenses, move away from home, and all of the things that go with being an elite athlete, travel and all of the other things. Um, Surely we can come up with a plan somehow to keep these girls in the league, even if it's a centralised contract system for national uh, team players. There has to be a way, surely. Government Government support is the only way that the National League is sustainable, the National League is growing. We've seen Minister Minister Byrne, Thomas Byrne has been at the, was at the first World Cup game. We need the only way we get sustainability. And the thing is, it, I'm not going to dump it on the FAI and say the FAI need to come up with a load of money. No, the FAI, all stakeholders in, our, in Irish football, whether that be better sponsorship, better better endorsements, the whole lot is the only way we grow. Is if we've a massive massive come together. We, we need, they had a strategic plan for the women. I think we need a new one where we actually have achievable goals. Don't just go and have some goals that are way out there and think, oh, we might be able to get them. No, we need to have goals that these are specific. Like we've had debates over things like the cup final being in the Aviva compared to Tala. Like things, things like that. For me, women's football only grows when we start selling out Tala, even for cup finals and things like that. That's when we know women's football has grown. Attendances for a lot for some clubs are shit at the minute. They're, they're poor, and the problem is, is the problem is, is Brefney is that we need to make sure we do it right across the board. It's not just always about international football because international football will always be the bread and butter for the FAI. But for for the others who aren't quite at that level, the domestic leagues is where is their is their is their baby. And I just think we have such an opportunity here, like. This is why I don't want to be overly critical of, of Ireland's in, in terms of the World Cup because there's so many positives to take take out of the World Cup and so much so many avenues for growth as well. And like my overall emotion today is I'm extremely disappointed and probably a little bit emotional in terms of how I'm going how I'm speaking because of yeah. following this team for years, like the, the, remembering the times when you're in the press box and it's empty to now sitting in a sitting in the stadium in, in, in Paris what twenty odd thousand kilometers away dejected that Ireland are out of a World Cup, but I really do believe that this is only the start of the growth of women's football in Ireland. No, 100%. And I heard, I was listening on, on another platform, I think it was um, Joe possibly, um, Stephanie Roach was interviewed uh, on the football show there um, before the World Cup, but I only listened to it the last couple of days. She talked about a, an international friendly where she remembered going along as a kid and watching Olivia O'Toole play against I think it was Italy or Switzerland, I can't remember which, in Richmond Park. And I remember being at the game, uh, bumping into a few people I knew from other clubs, but you could nearly name every single person who was in the ground. You knew whose parents they were or whose boyfriend it was or whose neighbour it was or whose coach it was. Everybody knew everybody in the stand. And that's not that long ago. That's about 2006, 2005, 2007 kind of generation. And here we are less than two decades later with... Um, an Irish team at a, at a 
the World Cup. It's phenomenal. And I know, yeah, it's disappointing to be out after two games, but I think um, as much as I'm disappointed and maybe the strategy wouldn't have been the one I would have approached coming into the games in terms of player selection, in terms of approach to certain games and certain situations within games, but I think we have to realise that we're at a World Cup and, and that's huge stepping stone but it really needs to be a platform that we move from now this is the bar this is the minimum acceptable level and everything after this has to be upwards and i, I think we're capable of that i think we've underperformed as a sport for definitely for 15 16 years i think we could have been at major championships before and we've missed out a bit of unluckiness maybe a bit of poor decision making by players or by coaches have, have hampered us along the way but I think this has to be the minimum now, and I think I'm, I'm excited to see what the FAI do if they embrace this, and when we come back and push it on to the next level. Uh, speaking of the the future, obviously Nigeria to come next week. We'll talk about that just maybe to finish the show. But before we do, as we move into the future, Vera Powell, there's a question mark over her um, contract. There's a question mark over her, um, I suppose. No, I don't want to say credibility. That's not the right word, but her her suitability for the role given what we found out in the last six to, to eight months from december the report that was issued in december and she was named in that report um what's your thoughts on where the fai i don't want to get into the details of that but what's the thoughts of of where we go to from here do we sit down with vera Powell and offer a contract do we cut our losses and look elsewhere for a coach to push this on to another level potentially well the talk was that contract talks were put on hold pre-World Cup when, when the article from The Athletic came out, so it's interesting to see what happens. I'm not convinced at the minute that she will get a new contract. I, I think she I think she may see out the Nigeria game, that could be her last game. I do suspect that we may see a bit of movement on that in terms of not long after the Nigeria game. It could be one announcement one way or another. The problem is, is the Nations League comes up quite quickly with the games against Northern Ireland and Hungary in late September, so it's only really a, a month between between a month and six weeks between the, the games, so I'm I'm not sure. It's I would say the FAI are going to take a bit of time to probably reassess everything, discuss everything. Like I was talking to a couple of people in terms of the the report that she was named on in the NWSL. I think some of the some of the things on it. I'm not going to get into detail on it. I think the way she was named in it, it doesn't sit right with me. The way the report was framed as well, because there was people who potentially had committed potential criminal potential criminal offences named and then she's sandwiched in the middle where maybe it's it, it's a strange it's a strange report it's a strange report i do think the fai before they make any sort of decision they have to have a, a full due diligence maybe an independent speak to the players as well but i'm not convinced she gets a new contract if i'm, if I'm being honest um, i suppose my question is from the fai's point of view do they have a case to answer in terms of how quickly they came out to back her when that report broke pre-Christmas and and now when it was repeated? Because there's no new information, really, let's be honest, from December right through to, to the week or two before the the team left uh, Belfield. Um, do the FAI have a case to answer for what they did or didn't do between, say, December and, and July? Potentially, potentially. Um, that's a fair question to ask. You'd like to know what exactly they did do, who did they speak to, what players did they speak to? Because when you when you listen to Katie doing the press conference before the French game, her answer sort of she didn't back Vera fully when when was asked, can she speak for the entire players? So 
you'd like to know what due diligence was done, what sort of things were done, and what questions were asked. I, only the FAI, only the FAI know that exact answer, and like, I can't tell you with certainty that certain players were asked or who was asked. I, I assume the leadership group was asked, and that was it. Yeah, I think uh, my own personal take on it is it's an unfortunate situation for everybody, for Vera, for the FAI, for the players. It's been horrible, I'm, I'm, I would imagine, for people on all sides of the equation within the FAI. It's definitely, impacted the, it's definitely impacted the World Cup, though. Yeah, 100%. No about it. But I also think it's an opportunity maybe for everybody, everybody to just cut ties and say, we've got this far, we've pushed on a level. Uh, you're going to go your direction, we're going to go our direction. And I think, ultimately, I think that's probably what's going to be best for, for the squad, for the game, and for the sport, and for probably for both parties. I think there's a slight tarnish, rightly or wrongly, on Vera's legacy with the FAI based on that. But I think if she walks away now, she will always be that Jack Charlton for the female side, the, the manager who got them to a World Cup final for the first time, led them into that, and absolutely cover themselves, despite the results of what they say on paper, cover themselves in probably 20 minutes on, uh, on in the first game and 45 at least, if not more minutes today, in two of the best performances we've seen from Irish teams in, in quite some time. Listen, she deserves massive credit for for actually a lot of work that she has done with Ireland, and there's no doubt about that. And you're right, like the last 20 minutes against Australia were great, and then the first 45 today. But she does deserve an awful lot of credit. And the, the question you'd have to ask is, has she built up enough credit in the bank to maybe get that other contract? When she when she was talking about wanting it done before the World Cup and it's not being done, that's when it sort of leads me to think that it may not be it may not be done in the end, and and we could see the last of Vera Powell against Nigeria on Monday. Yeah, well, listen, football's a funny old game as well, and uh, free agents in football tend to get very attractive when uh, football associations and clubs are looking for replacements. And uh, she has delivered. Ireland have been impressive at the World Cup, and I think. Uh, will be interest in her she will have opportunities if the fai choose not to or maybe she chooses herself not to renew a contract uh, for the position let's talk nigeria because that's probably uh, the last thing on the agenda today really nigeria are the opponents we play them monday mid-morning 11 o'clock i think is the kickoff irish time it's in brisbane back in the heat um it's been their base so at least they're familiar with the surroundings they're familiar with the city they'll be used hopefully to the heat a little bit but um Flying back, they're, flying, they're flying back tonight, so they're not even staying the night in Perth. They're going back. They're going back tonight. Uh, What's the strategy? Then? What's the strategy? Aaron? Do you do you play a completely changed team and go wherever the competition will give the girls who haven't got minutes yet, put one goalkeeper in first half, second goalkeeper in second half, and just or do you just maybe give them a couple of minutes as a token, or do you just go out to win the game? What what? None of them really matter, and it's down to personal preference, really. What's your thoughts? I'd love to see seven or eight changes and let some players have an opportunity i'd love to see that i don't think it'll happen no i, think I, I don't think so either and again i'd be on, i'd be on the same side of the fence as you uh give everybody a, at least 45 minutes that they go home from the world cup haven't played um it's so destroying to see people um so destroying to see people uh, but then again it's, it's 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 an opportunity to win a game in the world cup that's the other side of it it's it's an opportunity and the thing is nigeria play australia tomorrow Mary Fowler's also out of the game as well as Sam Kerr and I can't think of the other player as well. Two of them have concussion. So Nigeria get a result against Australia with Australia missing a couple. They could come into the Ireland game where a win could see them into the, into the last 16. So there's a lot of different conundrums there there as well. Whereas if they, if they lose, they're sort of on, they're massively on the back foot. So like I don't know. 
it all depends how Nigeria going to approach it as well. And I would like to see her do that, but I, I really can't see Virka making making many changes. Yeah, in terms of uh, past the Nigeria game, we talked about the age profile of the squad. Uh, there's a few players there in the mid to. Well, I won't say late 30s, but definitely in the mid 30s there. There's probably a core of five or six of them. Um, Nifahi, Anya Gorman, Dan Caldwell, Rush Little John, Louis Quinn, all be over the age of 37 the next time the World Cup comes around, as will Sinead Farley. Will we see Sinead Farley again in an Ireland jersey? Has this Is this just the kind of the full stop to her international career? Or could we see her maybe take part for European Championships? Will the interest level be there from her? I honestly think we see Sinead Farley back. Everything that she's saying, I think we see Sinead Farley back. Um, I have a feeling that, that we'll, see her for, we'll see her for another campaign. I hope we do. I'd be extremely disappointed if we don't. Um, but everything she's talking about is positive, positive in terms of playing for Ireland, learning the national anthem, making sure that she embraces absolutely everything of it. Like, funny enough, I don't know if you know this, but her sister actually lives in Dublin. Uh, not in Dublin, her sister lives in, I think it's Westmead. Her sister only moved to Ireland recently. I think it's Mead or Westmead. Um, she was talking about when, when, when her sister, spending the weekend with her sister and Mead in, in, in down that sort of region when, when Ireland had a weekend off in, after, uh, before the, between the, uh, between the Zambia and France that weekend. She was talking about that and, it was amazing to hear that she she really immersed herself in the in the Irish culture. So I really think we will see her again. Excellent. I think I, she's a player with immense ability, and I think the fact that she hasn't really kicked the ball in six years really means she's probably closer to the the, the body uh, of a twenty seven year old in terms of uh, the wear and tear. So hopefully, uh, we will see her for another campaign afterwards. Uh, the others care to comment? Onya Gorman's already retired once. I don't know. Um, we could see a couple of retirements. I don't know whether it could be a case of a manager says to the players, "Listen, I want to try other players," and the players retire. Um, like Dan Caldwell is close to 100 caps. You'd be disappointed if she didn't get to 100 to 100. I think she's on 96. Um, I don't know. It's a difficult. It's a difficult one to say if we see players retiring or, or whether it's a manager turned around and said, "Listen, I want to go." Diff-. I think it might be that and a manager turned around and say, "I want to go a different way." for a lot of people around that Ireland squad management and players alike. Um, what's the, the feeling? Uh, I know you probably haven't had a chance to really catch up with the supporters, but the atmosphere in the stadium afterwards, was it one of pride or was it one of disappointment or a little bit of both? I, th- I, think, it was one of, I think it was one of pride because you could hear them singing the players off the pitch and, and things like that. The Irish fans never stopped. They've been brilliant this World Cup so far. Um, I expect another massive crowd in, in Brisbane again on, on Monday. A lot of Irish fans over that over that East Coast, and I'd expect it to be another packed occasion where they'll sing the players on for 90 minutes. Yeah, here's hoping uh, we can restore a little bit of pride. Well, we haven't lost any pride, so but even just bump that up uh, into the, the last game of the group. It's uh, meaningless in terms of competitiveness, in terms of getting out of the group. We can't do that. Mathematically, we are eliminated from the World Cup. Borderline disappointment on that. Um, but it's so proud for anyone who's been involved in the game over the last, at any point, if you're only involved a month or if you're involved a decade or two uh, or more, uh, people deserve huge respect for, for helping whatever little bit of an impact they've had along the way, whether it was been part of that first team with Linda Gorman and, and others, um, right through to the Olivia Tools into the everybody who's come along the way, I suppose the goal from Stephanie Roach, I know she's a former uh, co-host of this show herself, um, 
she's moved on to bigger and better things obviously with rte but it's uh it's great to see the, the impact that each of these players made in their own little way pushed it on a step and to see it get to a, a world cup now we've broken our duck we're no longer going to be the, the debutants at these competitions we're going to be coming with a, a game plan to try and get out of groups and and compete and i think that's well within our our capabilities over the next few months aaron what's next for you what are you keep getting yourself up to for the next uh, four or five days loose in australia so i'm flying back across the, the country tomorrow i'm back in brisbane tomorrow tomorrow evening um a couple day or two with chill then back at the media saturday speaking to ireland players ahead of out of the game on monday and it's all it's all going to blaze and actually i'm going to i'm going to Brazil and France as well on, on Saturday evening. I have media accreditation for Brazil and France as well. So I'm, I'm looking forward to that going to see Martin play as well. So really excited, really excited. Looking have another week at what, another 10 days in Australia, 10, 10 days or so in Australia. Got to make the most of it and, you know, enjoy myself. Excellent. We're looking forward to having you back uh, so that I'm not jealous of you anymore. Uh, but listen, it's been a great journey for the Irish girls as they try to get through that group. It hasn't proven to be successful for them in terms of results, but uh, they really have restored the pride across the entire nation watching them over the last two weeks. Aaron, thanks for again for being so generous with your time immediately after the game. They're in Perth in the Rectangular Stadium, which is the most bizarre name for a, it's, a stadium. It's, 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 it's the naming rights. It's the HBF stadium is the proper name for it it's the perk glory stadium yeah it's the equivalent of uh the aviva being the dublin arena for any big yeah. uh big games with the sponsorship issues here in europe as well uh aaron listen we'll chat to you before the the brisbane game the uh the nigeria game next week but uh, enjoy the couple of days and uh safe travels i will do